Well, we're going to turn in our Bibles uh, to the passage of Scripture. David has already uh, alluded to it, the, the book of Romans. I've got just one verse to read to you. Uh, I would say it's the most familiar verse of the whole of the book. And I suppose, in a very real way, it's the most challenging verse in the whole of the book as well. It's verse 16 of chapter 1. It's on page 594, uh, if you happen to be following in the Pooh Bible. And this is what it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now if you remember last week we, uh, we saw Paul telling the Roman congregation that he'd never seen before, that he was open to come to, that he was ready. He was ready to preach the gospel to them just as he has been ready to preach the gospel to every other person that he had come into contact with and we looked at that word ready and we saw that Paul was ready because he was qualified in that he knew the Lord Jesus Christ as his own personal saviour and that he was born again that he was filled with the spirit that he knew the word of God and he knew the plan of salvation and therefore he had all the qualifications necessary for a person to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he was ready in that respect. But we also saw last week that he was ready in, in the way that he was willing, he was eager, he was zealous to preach the gospel. And um, the two go hand in hand, I suppose. Um, one without the other is of no value at all. You know, to be ready and willing without being qualified as we saw with um, Apollos and the twelve disciples of, of Ephesus no good whatsoever it's no good preaching the baptism of, of John if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit you know and then I get there again it's possible to be qualified to have all the, the spiritual and supernatural uh, qualifications and yet not be willing well, I suppose that for us that is the, uh, the overriding problem. You know, the Lord has brought us into a living relationship with himself. He's come and indwelt us. He's filled us with his spirit, clothed us with his power. He's given us an understanding of the gospel. And every one of us here could possibly easily go and tell someone what they need to know about Jesus. And yet there's this one thing. Willingness, eagerness, zealousness. Is that what's missing uh, as far as the church today is concerned? Now there has to be a reason for um, being so intent on doing something that isn't comfortable, that isn't palatable, and therefore isn't safe. Preaching the gospel, you know, if we went back 50 years, perhaps... Um, Talking about safety and preaching wouldn't come in the same breath, not in this country anyway. 
Uh, you know, preaching the gospel in the Rhondda Valley, in Ton Revel, or wherever we come from, would probably be just, yes, he's a preacher of the gospel, you know. Lives next door to me. He's in this community. He's in that community. Preaches the gospel in that church and in this church. You know, and there, is no, there was no fear, or very little fear, uh, of preaching the gospel. But now, we are in the same position actually as Paul found himself in he had a message to bring that in no way was comfortable or palatable to the society that he belonged to you know we've come up against the problem that our society is now not comfortable with the gospel the gospel to the people of Astrid is not palatable anymore and therefore it follows that it isn't as safe as it used to be to preach the gospel. You know, there are many people in this country who have been whisked off to jail because they preach the gospel. There are people who have been sort of abused and persecuted because they preach the gospel. You know, fortunately in this place, we are able to preach the gospel um, with impunity and, uh, and go home and enjoy a bit of supper. But who knows how long such a position will be. So there has to be a reason for being so intent on doing something that is so unsafe. You know, you don't stick your neck out if there isn't a good enough reason for doing so. And I'm going to be honest, I'd like to keep my neck firmly in. I do want to stick it out. I don't want to stick it out at all. I want it in. Especially if there's any hint of danger. So Paul must have had a good reason. A very good reason. For sticking his neck out. And that reason comes in perhaps this. The most familiar verse. Of the whole epistle. It's one that we know so well. We can recite it so easily. It trips off the tongue. So fluently. For I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to the saving or the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. The reason is there. It's in that verse. You know, the first thing that we must notice as we consider this verse is that it is extremely personal. It's extremely Personal. I don't know if you've noticed with Paul, but he always seems to have company. He always seems to be hanging around with someone else. There's always someone else in the vicinity. When he's writing, when he's preaching, when he's traveling, never goes it alone. He's always with someone. You know, if he went to Corinthians, the first book of Corinthians, you will see that Sosthenes was his companion. If he went to the second book of Corinthians, we see that it was Timothy. That is was his, command, his companion. If we went to Philip, the, uh, the Philippians, it would have been Timothy again. You know, very often he, he says that this letter is coming from Astu. Astu, me and Timothy, me and Sosthenes. Other times, if you remember, he lists all his friends and his company at the end of the epistle. I and all the household of Crispus and all the other people, we salute you. We love you. The Lord bless you from a slot over you. Sometimes he mentions them as he goes through uh, the epistle. You know, it's quite obvious that he's always, always a part of a group. You know, but we must notice 
especially in this verse that he is speaking for himself he's not speaking for me he's not speaking for you he's not speaking for Timothy or Sosthenes or Mark or Barnabas no he's not speaking for anyone else except himself for I am not ashamed I am not ashamed I've said this before but on our notice board outside I have written for we are not ashamed it's not actually biblical what I have put on the board outside you know I'm being a notice board of course it speaks for what goes on in this place this church this church preaches the full orb gospel message of Jesus Christ and this church as a whole is not ashamed of that gospel that's what it says on that notice board outside you know what I'm proud of that notice board outside because I know that this church is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it preaches it every time that we meet but none of us can hide behind the notice board you know Silas Timothy and the like they can't hide behind Paul's stance this verse has got to be highly personal it's not about we it's not about us it's about me am I ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ you know and if someone asks you are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ you, and you say to them well, don't you know I go to Emmanuel Christian Fellowship and on the wall outside we have a poster that says for we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ you know and that person would say I'm not asking you what church you belong to I don't care what church you are a member of are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ are you ashamed of the gospel of well, don't you know that I travel extensively with Paul I follow him I help him I do his admin I, you know, I organize meetings for it I didn't ask you if he was following Paul the apostle I asked you if he was ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's what I ask you are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore because it is highly personal it is something that every one of us each one of us has to work out in our own minds in our own hearts and in our own experiences you see the temptation is for us to come to Emmanuel or follow Paul but still be ashamed still be ashamed you and I could say that each one of us without exception can point to occasions when we have hated ourselves for that very reason because we've been ashamed to open our voice open our mouth and tell someone about Jesus you and every one of us have come to that place where we thought why didn't I speak up when I had that opportunity why didn't I tell that person about Jesus you know on the bottom line is we were ashamed we were ashamed of the gospel of Christ every time I fail to speak up when the opportunity arises every time I change the subject and talk about God or the church or the worship group or even 
the weather. Every time I agree with the world, when they say how hopeless everything is, we are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we've already looked at Paul's attitude towards the gospel, in that he preaches it in season, out of season, and in fact he adds, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. You know, that's the attitude of a man who is not ashamed of the gospel. And therefore, the question that must be asked tonight is, if we, are, we can confess to ourselves, I don't want more confessions out, um, why are we ashamed? Why are we ashamed of the gospel? For what possible reason could there be that we are afraid to speak up? We change the subject, or we agree with the world as to where is it all going to end? You know what, everybody's saying it. And I suppose there are people who will take that opportunity and tell them about the victorious Christ. The, the plans and purposes of God. His sacrifice upon the cross. His resurrection from the dead. His second coming. When people say how bad it is. Where is it all going to end? You know, the opportunity is there. It's going to end in Christ coming back and taking His church to be with Himself. But how many of us how many of us have actually said those words when we have had that opportunity? You know, and, um, so why? Why is there a reason to be ashamed? And I would say that there are a number of reasons. And perhaps knowing the reason will help us remedy the difficulty that we find ourselves in. The first thing that I think, uh, the reason, the first reason uh, that we are ashamed is because we find ourselves ashamed because the gospel very often seems so irrelevant. So irrelevant. You know, some of us were talking last Thursday night as we left uh, the church about being fired up by the word of God. And I suppose we've all had this experience. We've come to church on a Thursday night or a Sunday night or a Sunday morning and we've been fired up by the word of God. We've been inspired by the presence of God. And you've got that feeling in you as you walk out through the door. Bring it on. Bring the world on. Because I've got something that's burning in my soul. Something has taken place within these four walls. And yet we talked as we talked. That feeling. That inspiration. That excitement seems to wane. By the time we meet up with someone the next morning. And we walk into our place of work. Or we go to the place where we shop. And all of a sudden, it seems so irrelevant. No, we are 2,000 years removed from Paul. We are 2,000 years removed from the founding of the gospel. Christ suffered in our place on Calvary's cross. Took our sins there. Rose again to prove to us that his sacrifice was complete. That God was satisfied in every aspect of his character. In Christ's sacrifice. And on my behalf is satisfied with me. Isn't that wonderful? That's amazing. But you see all that happened 2,000 years ago. Is it relevant today? 2,000 years later. And you know in those intervening years. We are a church that has made some amazingly stupid decisions. Splits and violence and murder. 
in the name of the church has become commonplace. The church in this country has been usurped and sucked into the state. So we have the head of a church in Rome and we have the head of a church in Canterbury. Christianity has brought more wars than it has peace on earth. And even in our day, the church has been embroiled in a bloody war in Northern Ireland in our time. You know, along the way, science has wheedled its way into the mainstream society with its erroneous billions of years and its childish transitions from one kind to another. Things that are held supreme in our society today, although there isn't one shred of evidence or implication involved in any of it. You know, the world of technology has moved on and is moving on at a pace, a frightening pace. And social media has become the most powerful thing in the world. So influential. You know, and we know with, from the prophecies of Daniel that knowledge is increasing at an alarming level. And anything you need to know is accessible to you at the top of an index finger. In fact, you know, I've, um, I've downloaded the Bible onto, my, onto this thing that I got here. And um, I went for a walk this morning and I listened to Poirot reading the Bible to me. It was brilliant. 13 chapters of Genesis. And uh, when we come to chapter 7, or chapter 11, when the, the Tower of Babel went up, I listened and uh, Poirot said that God had come down to see what was going on. See these men building this tower up into the sky so that they could make um, a name for themselves. You want know, God confused their language for a reason. For a reason, a specific reason. You want know, to what he says? Indeed, the people are one. And they have all one language. And this is what they begin to do. If this continues, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. The one language, the one people, the world together will do more than the world apart. And when you look at what was being done, it was an affront to God. You know, I suppose that it was to, to build a place high enough so that even God couldn't flood it. I suppose that's what it was all about. You know, and um, today, the reason God confused the languages at Babel has now become almost irrelevant. Because the world now is together. We have a, um, a sort of a, a fountain of knowledge that is available and accessible to everyone in the world. It's absolutely amazing. You know, people today are taken up with this pursuit of wealth, of position, of pleasure. You know, I was um, reading in the paper this week of a university that welcomes a Muslim cleric spouting out hate and violence against this country. Welcome to speak in their halls 
as much as he wants to. And yet someone has actually stood up and criticized the transgender movement. Don't think of the sort of the uh, alarming difference between the transgender movement and the security of this country. No, I would put the security of this country way up there. I would put the transgender movement way down there. But the person who criticized these can't come in and do it anymore. The person who criticized the government and spouted hate and war and let's get up and kill the lot of them can come in and do what he wants to. Why? Well, because we are in pursuit of wealth and position and pleasure. You know, what is the world talking about? It's talking about terrorism. It's talking about computers, mobile phones, holidays abroad, sport. What on earth has the sacrifice of Christ got to do with today's world? It's out of place. It's archaic. It's totally irrelevant. You know, why think about that when we have so many other things to occupy our minds? So many other things that are more important. You know, I'll be doing a funeral tomorrow, and as long as the weather's good, I will thank God for the grace that He has given to this family to spend a moment thinking. You know, there are so many things that go on in our lives, and yet when you're in a funeral, you can sit or stand around the grave and think about eternal things. It's probably the only time you do it when you're in the world. Because there's so much entertainment and things going on in your life. You're too busy. You're rushing you there and everywhere. But when you come to a funeral and I say these words, God in His grace has given us a moment to think. To think about the important issues. But you see those important issues, they are crowded out. And the gospel doesn't seem to fit in to our society. So, we keep quiet. We keep quiet. Secondly, we find ourselves ashamed because the gospel seems so weak. So weak. I listened to a, a debate some time ago, it was a number of years ago, concerning the solving of a number of social problems uh, in our country, especially in Wales. You know, and the leader of the Evangelical Alliance in Wales was a part of this debate. He was the Christian representative uh, in his role as the director of Welsh Evangelical Alliance. On the agenda was housing and poverty and single parent families and drugs. They were some of the subject that was covered. Now this man Elvard, his name is, to his credit, he stood up and he kept on plugging away with the gospel. And his sort of... Um, part of the debate included the fact of him telling them that Christ, let Christ change people and society will inevitably be changed you know what I suppose that every one of us in this room would say amen to that it's the only way round there's no other way that society has any hope of changing unless people come to Jesus and change themselves in order to change society. It never happens the other way around. You know, and all through the history of the church, we can see that, the history of this country, we can see that, that revival brings restitution. You know, and there was Elvin. 
giving it all he got. You know, we were, I was listening on the wireless on the television, I think it was uh, on the wireless as we were travelling somewhere. You know, and uh, give it to him. Tell him all about this. But every time he spoke, the chairman of the debate would come back, yes, Elva, we value your point. But. We value your point. But. But there's a better way. There's a stronger argument, a more appropriate answer. The gospel is too weak. And there are better alternatives today. You know, I watched two programs recently. Um, one with Sue Perkins. She was going up the Mekon River and rubbing shoulders with the Mekons, or whatever they call them, the, the, the natives of Mekon. You know, um, and um, I've only seen one of the, the programs. And I don't know, but I think I've seen it about four times. I don't know if there's only one of them and they put it on four times. Mm-hmm. Or I, they put it on four times and I've only seen the same episode. But I watched uh, Sue, and I like Sue because she's on the bake-off and all that. Um, but she she was going up and she would, they were talk, obviously talking about their religion and the things that they were up to and she was a part of it and she put the flowers in her hair and she went to the, the table to eat this and to eat that and this is what, um, this is what she said she said uh, I'm so impressed so impressed with this undefinable image of God that was projected Oh, it's so warm, so friendly, so family-oriented. It's better than that cold old stuff that we used to back home in the churches of of, uh, the United Kingdom. Oh, this God, this religion, this faith satisfies me, comforts me, embraces me. So much more than that old, same old, same old stuff that we are uh, force-fed back home. You know, here is a person was no objective understanding of this God that they are supposed to serve and yet is drawn to it because of it a revulsion of the true and the living God you know it's so much warmer than what we have these Christian churches back home and of course you know that uh, uh, recently now or perhaps now Adrian Childs is showing a documentary My Mediterranean it's called no image. He researches the, re- the religions that are abroad uh, on the continent of Europe. And wonders, this is his sort of um, tagline, I wonder whether he being a Catholic might just as well have been a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu if he was born somewhere else. And he's gone through some of them. And guess which faith came at the bottom of his list? It was evangelical Christianity. It was the gospel. It was the gospel. You know, here is this man, he, can, he went to 46 masses in 46 different churches. And so thrilled uh, that I can be a part of all this. And yet, Jesus and the gospel means nothing at all to him. Because he could easily be a Jew, he could easily be a Hindu, he could easily be a Muslim. It just happens that he was born and brought up in a Catholic church. I find that so amusing in one way, and yet so dreadfully sad in another way. 
you know, and um, Christianity. You no, know, of course, we have also the the fact that the Eastern religions is, have actually come and camped on our doorstep. I said that, that uh, when we were 50 years ago, preaching the gospel was easy. You, you only had the drunkards or uh, the people on street corners, and, hey, you know, and all that stuff. But now, of course, you've got other religions that have come and camped right up close around the building that we are in. You know, we are Christianity, evangelical Christianity, is continually gagged in case it offends these people who have come. They come to have a better life. But it seems that the life that they had there, they want to bring over here. And because we've got a different life, they are offended, or we are told. I don't think they really are offended. I think the Muslim could care less what we say. But of course, there is this do-good group of people in Britain who tell us that everything that we do as Christians offends the Muslims. You know what, it seems to me that Christianity is drowning in a sea of philosophy, of secularism and world religions. And to speak about it in a positive way, a way that challenges, a way that confronts, is to be marginalised, is to be ridiculed, is to be belittled and accused of bigotry and fundamentalism. I wonder if you try it tomorrow in your place of work. I wonder if any of those words will actually cross your mind. Marginalised, ridiculed, belittled and accused of bigotry and fundamentalism. So, we keep quiet. We keep quiet. Which brings us to our final reason. Reason number three. We find ourselves ashamed because we fear men's faces. You know what I suppose that um, this isn't uh, a 2016 problem because we can trace this problem all the way back. We can actually go back to Jeremiah to see that this has always been a problem. We've always as Christians or messengers of God, we've always had a problem with men's faces. You know, God says to Jeremiah, therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed by their faces, lest I dismay you before them. Don't be afraid of their faces. You know, we could enlist Moses. Moses had a message from God to give to the people, but he really didn't want to bring it. Bring it. You know, he didn't want to go down to Pharaoh and face him and tell him that uh, Jehovah had said all these things. No, I don't want to do it. He feared Pharaoh. Gideon, the man of mighty valor. And yet he didn't want because he feared the Midianites. He didn't want to be bothered with what God was saying. He was quite happy hiding in the, uh, the wine press, threshing his corn and getting out of there as quick as he could. No, we could go to the book of Acts and see John Mark. John Mark was reluctant to continue with Paul because of the fear of men's faces. You know, I must be honest. The Bible doesn't really give us that much encouragement when it comes to fear in men's faces. In fact, it rubs it in a bit. It makes it puts it highlights it. Jesus said that he was sending his disciples out as lambs among wolves. You know, not even sheep, lambs. Not even augets. Do you know what an augget is? An augget, says James Martin, is uh, in between a lamb, which is a yearling, 
on a mutton, which is a free yearling, anywhere in between is an orgut. And the funny thing about it is the best meat of all. I've seen our program when you do Why? I mean, yeah, what? what I'm thinking is, why aren't we eating more orgats then, if it is the best meat of all? Why are you bothering the lamb? Why do we slay them so soon? That's another story. <coughs> I don't know, where, where am I, where am I by? We have been sent out as lambs amongst wolves. You know, I'm the pastor of Hebrews. So it doesn't do a lot for our condition. You know, and we go to Hebrews Latin for a bit of encouragement, a bit of inspiration. But as he comes to the close of that chapter, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves in the earth. Up until verse 37 of Hebrews, it was all inspiring. But I can tell you this, few faith teachers would touch verse 37 with the barge pole. Because it doesn't go with what faith is all about in today's church. But fair play, God hasn't promised us a bed of roses. Yeah. You know, some preachers might promise a bed of roses, but God hasn't. You know, and there is no easy ride in the Christian faith. We are called to flow against the tide, or swim against the tide. It's hard, it's painful. You know, and there are people out there that will destroy us. They will destroy our characters, our reputations. They will criticize us. You know, when Paul talks of beatings and imprisonments, it's no wonder we keep quiet. It's no wonder we keep quiet. We keep quiet because the message we have seems very irrelevant sometimes. We keep quiet because the message we have seems very weak. And there are better ways of doing things today. We keep quiet because we're afraid of men's faces. But looking at our verse again, we can see that Paul is ready to preach because. There's a because in our verse tonight. And I thank God for the because. I'm ready to preach, he says, because he's not ashamed of the gospel. And that's what we've been talking about all night. That's why he's ready to preach. It's because he's not ashamed. But he goes on because there's another because in it. There's another because. He goes on to tell us that he's not ashamed because. Now this is what we need to know. I'm not ashamed. I'm ready to preach the gospel because I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because. Now what does this because tell us? Well this because tells us that this gospel is the power of God. To save all who believe this is a good because this is a more relevant because this is a more practical because because the gospel is the power of God to save those who believe for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ that's why I'm ready I'm not ashamed because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes you know when I look at it can I detect a uniqueness in this passage of scripture. You know, does it say that this gospel is part of God's power? Is it one way of God achieving his goal of salvation? Does it present us with a road that takes us to God? Well, no. 
No, actually it screams exclusivity. Exclusivity. It screams it at us as loud as it can. This is where God has placed his power. No, he's saying it to me, there is power in the name of Jesus. Power to save. Power to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Power to overcome death. Power to bring the gift of eternal life. There is no other depository of power except in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's exclusive. It's unique. There is no other name, says Paul, or says Peter, given under heaven, given amongst men, by which we must be saved. You see, it's this way, or it's no way. You know, that's what we've got to get firmly fixed in our hearts and in our minds. Yes, the world would think that there's a better way. There's a more relevant way. There's a stronger way. But the Bible tells us that it's this way or no way. The gospel of Christ represents man's only hope of eternal life. And man needs it to be spoken in this day and age. You know what? The key, of course, is this word power. The word is the word dynamis, dynamite. So this is explosive power. Not used to kill and to maim. We are not here to kill the infidel. To slay the unbeliever. That's not the God that we serve. In fact we are to witness to the infidel. And witness to the unbeliever. And pray for the faithless. See we are not here to kill people. We are not here to destroy people. We are not here to wield power. And gain authority and prestige. No, Paul says... I've come to preach. I don't want to know anything else. I just want to know Christ and Him crucified. You see, we've come to set people free from the ravages of sin, from the tyranny of Satan, from the bondage of death, and the crippling fear of judgment. Oh, that that understanding would grab hold of us like it grabbed hold of Paul. Oh, that we would respond to the responsibility that God has placed upon us. And yes, it does seem irrelevant. It does seem irrelevant. Do you know the most irrelevant man on the planet was a man by the name of Noah. Jesus says, weren't they eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage? Wasn't everything normal? Wasn't everything getting on with everything else? There's an irrelevant man over there building a boat in a desert. What a fool he is. We have a better way. You're his pleasure. You're his enjoyment. You're his wealth and health and pursuits and entertainment. We're enjoying ourselves. We're eating. We're drinking. We're marrying. We're giving in marriage. How irrelevant is that man over there? Until one day when the door shut, and they realized how relevant he actually was. The ark was irrelevant until. And didn't Christ say that that is how it's going to be before he comes again? Eating and drinking and marrying 
and given it. You know, I've heard preachers saying that they, that was a sinful, uh, the sinful pursuits of. It's not the sinful pursuits of man. It's the normal pursuits of man. That's what man has been told to do by God Himself: to eat, to drink, to replenish the earth and fulfil the earth and be fruitful and give in marriage and take in marriage. It's all normal. It's going on today in our world. And that's how it's going to be until the very end. When Christ comes and takes them all away. What does Peter say? He says, the old world was destroyed by water. The next will be destroyed by fire. There's a fire coming. The fire of God's wrath is set to be lit on this world. And there are people who are eating and drinking and watching football and playing rugby and getting married and having children and growing old and enjoying life. And yet there's a judgment that's around the corner. And that's what we've got to understand from this passage of Scripture. The Gospel is ignored in this world today because it seems so weak and ineffective but God's word says God's word says it is the explosive power of God and really speaking what it comes down to is who are we going to believe who do we listen to you know and yes it is frightening when we go into the lion's den with what seems like a paper chair and a plastic whip. You know, I don't think any lion tamer would go into the lion's den with a plastic chair and a paper whip or whatever I said earlier. But that's what it seems to be doing. Now listen to what God told Jeremiah. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land against the kings of Judah against its princes against its priests and against the people of the land they will fight against you but they shall not prevail against you why? for I am with you says the Lord to deliver you you know when Jesus said I'm going to send you out as lambs against wolves a couple of days later, a month later, he stood on the Mount of Olives and he was about to travel back to heaven. And he recommissioned his disciples. I want you to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Never mentioned uh, wolves and stuff like that then. He just told them, this is your responsibility. This is what I want you to do in the time between I go and come back again. Here is the talents that I'm giving to you. I'm going on a far journey. And here they were. Eleven men. Eleven men. Could do anything with Christ. But now they were going to have to do everything without Him. Or so they thought. Because He added something. The same as His Father did in the Old Testament. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Lo, says Jesus, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Who are we going to stand with? Who are we going to believe? And who are we going to speak for? That's the question. Those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. 
Who am I going to stand with? Am I going to stand with God? Who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe that the gospel is the power of God? Or the weakness of society? Who are we going to speak for? Are we going to speak for the world? Or are we going to speak to the world of God? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That's where we need to stand. That's who we need to believe. And we need to speak for God. Otherwise, this world is doomed. And worse and worse and worse it's going to get. That's going to happen anyway. But we want to rescue some people. We want to pluck some brands out of the fire. We want to take people from the, de- the, the, the depression of the world and bring them into the joy of the Lord. How are we going to do it? By not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching it just like God expects us to. For his name's sake.